Vad säger vi om Rangan Chatterjee? Alltså, alltså bygga vi honom. <laughs> ja, han är en ledstjärna. If I think back across my whole career has any single one of my patients used shame as a helpful motivator? No. People building the awareness of why they are engaging in certain behaviors, they then start to make changes themselves. You don't need a dramatic life overhaul. You need to take it slow, build in these changes. I was frustrated that for most of my patients, I was just giving them pills all the time and they were coming back and they they still had problems. I, I felt that the pill was just putting a plaster on their symptom rather than helping them get to the root cause. So I'm really passionate about using medication when it's necessary, but using lifestyle when it's necessary as well. Hej och välkomna till våran podd Hälsorevolutionen. Din vän på hälsoresan framåt i livet. Idag sitter vi på Norstedts ja, förlagshus i Stockholm på Riddarholmen. Och vi sitter i en av Storytells studios. Jag heter Karina Nundstedt, ja. ska jag säga. Jag är producent och förläggare. Och jag ska också säga att du får väldigt gärna prenumerera på Hälsorevolutionen så att vi kan podda länge och ofta. Det gör du till exempel i Acast-appen. Och idag ska vi prata om viktbalans, eller hur Maria? Ja, vikten. Och alltså inte egentligen vikten i sig, utan hur man når en vikt som speglar något djupare. Den bästa hälsan och det bästa välmåendet. Och jag heter Maria Borelius och gör den här podden ihop med Karina. Jag är vetenskapsjournalist och författare. Och här träffar vi de främsta hälsoprofeterna som vi ska göra idag. Vi träffar livsstilsgurus, andra spännande personer, forskare för att lägga det här stora pusslet. Hälsoområdet är ju under väldigt stor omvandling just mm. nu. Som det här med vikt... Och för 25, 30 år sedan eller 20 år sedan bara, då handlar det ju bara om kalorier, eller mm. hur Karina? Mm. Ja, det känns ju länge sedan samtidigt som väl en del fortfarande använder den räknestickan. Mm. Mm. Jag kan trilla dit i, ibland och liksom tänka hur många kalorier var det här och, och så. Även om jag aldrig har varit någon kaloriräknare eller bantare av rang. Jag har liksom glatt studsat fram genom livet och inte varit jätte intresserad. Det har väl berott på att jag inte haft något problem med övervikt och så, mm, tack, mm, tack och lov. Mm. Eh, och jag har varit intresserad av andra hälsofrågor, mm. mer träning och helhet och, mm, mm. och så. Men i medelåldern där mm. jag befinner mig nu så, så kan det ju bli så att kroppen liksom omfördelas lite på ett härligt sätt. Och, och eh, då känner jag ju att jag nu satsar mycket mer på att eh, träna magen. Och det har ju inte direkt med vikten att göra. Men, men eh, jag tänker lite mer också på att inte, inte stoppa i med så mycket socker. Det är väl det. Och du, vad, vad har du för relation till vikten? Jag tror jag provat allt som finns förutom vittvinsdieten. Men det hade jag ändå sig en massa mm. vänner som gjorde. Vi träffade en som gjorde en, vin en, och en, en popstjärna som jag intervjuade en gång. Och hon, hon drack vittvin rakt igenom hela intervjun och sa att det var hennes diet. Ja, ja den man, är härlig. Man känner inte hur, hur hungrig man är. <laughs> eftersom man är berusad. Okay. Alltså det är bara sjukt. <laughs> men skarsdel och jag kommer inte ihåg vad allting heter. Men mm. sen när jag blev mamma då slutade jag med allt det här med kaloriräkning. Men för länge sedan då hade jag en sån där bok i huvudet. Och nu håller ju ett nytt sätt på att komma, ett, ett nytt tänk kring vikt. 
Jag tycker det här är väldigt spännande för idag ska vi få träffa Rangan Chatterjee som ju är brittisk läkare, väldigt intressant, har indisk bakgrund, har ett väldigt helhetstänk och det slår ju mig att jag går till tre olika läkare i London för lite olika saker, alla tre har indisk bakgrund och de har mycket det här holistiska ja, tänket ja. och jag tänker att det inte är en slump liksom. Så, och han tänker väldigt holistiskt mm. kring vikt. Det ska bli så kul att träffa Dr. Chatterjee. Ja. Vi följer honom liksom många andra på Instagram och vi har ju haft förmånen att ha honom som gäst tidigare ja. i podden. Då var det ett Zoom-samtal så att idag är det ju extra speciellt. Idag är det live och han kommer ju från England och där man fortfarande finns en enorm övervikt. Alltså jag var ute och vandrade för några helger sedan eh, nere i New Forest och eh, jag lovar att var tredje människa jag träffade hade ett BMI långt över 25, upp mot 30. Alltså mm. en enorm övervikt. Mm. Och ja, man känner ju en sån, alltså utan att hamna i någon sån här vikt träsk så känner man bara väldigt ömhet mm. med att leva med den tyngden. Mm. Eh, och vi stannade på ett ganska enkelt så här bed and breakfast hotell. Och det var intressant att se... Liksom jag började fundera över att många av dem som hade den väldiga övervikten, jag, när de, vad jag såg vad de tog på sin tallrik så kunde jag också förstå det. Det är sådana här att man har trott att ha varit hälsosam. Till exempel eh, socker, yoghurt med massor med sockerrik granola. Mm. Och som vi nu börjar förstå att nej men det är bättre att satsa mer på protein och fett och grönsaker. Mm. För att slippa få de här blodsockersvängningarna. Och Rangan Chatterjee, men han vänder sig till den som har mycket övervikt att kämpa med. Men också den som liksom mm. kanske bara vill, vill hitta en, ja, han kallar för mm. set point weight. Alltså Just bördvikten, alltså den här, ja. har du en sån vikt? bör ligga för Nej, att men där bra. man bara känner att jag ja. hamnar här. Ja. Liksom må lite, bra vikt kanske man må kan bra säga. vikt, eller jag hamnar här lite oavsett vad jag gör. Ja, jo, men det har jag nog också än. Uh, ja. Jag känner igen det. Ja. Sen tycker jag att han är så bra på helhetshälsa. Ja, men det är ja, det han gör. Han har skrivit många, många ja. böcker som flera av er lyssnare ja. säkert har läst. Så han pratar ju om helhet. Han tänker på sömn. Han tänker på mm. mättnadskänsla. Han tänker på hur känslor påverkar. Alltså mm. det här känslomässiga. Vi äter för att fylla något känslomässigt behov. Mm. Sorg, kärlek, skam uttråka, alltså vad vi än har för känslor så, så, så vill vi dämpa det med mat. Mm, mm. Och alla, alla de här aspekterna av människan så att det ska bli jättekul att träffa honom. Verkligen. Ja. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science. With beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, now welcome Ragan Chatterjee. Maria, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, beautiful to meet you. you. We have been Zooming before and now we are in real life. Yeah, here in Stockholm. The weather's pretty good today, actually. Yeah. It's uh, lovely to, to meet you in person, is, actually. Is, is it the first time you are in Stockholm? No, I've come many times over the past four or five years. Yeah, yeah the people here are just so relaxed, mm. chilled out, friendly. Mm. Uh, so it's always fun to come over. Good. You are very, very welcome. And you have written... A series of book, as you said, and your new book called Viktbalansen in Swedish is very humane, very practical and very fact-based. It's a lovely book. So I wanted to say, why did you write this book? What have you seen that made you want to do this right now? Yeah, so I've been a practicing medical doctor for over 20 years now. And, you know, during that time, I've seen tens of thousands of patients and The reason I decided to tackle weight in this new book is because it's a topic that's become quite controversial over the past few years. Um, It's a topic that I feel has been misunderstood a lot. Mm. A lot of the approaches to help people improve their health and lose weight if that's what they choose to do is based upon deprivation, restriction, punishment in the gym. And I really feel and and I have seen with patients Mm -hmm. that you can actually take a kind, compassionate, inclusive approach to health and still get the health goals that you want and still lose weight. And so the reason I wrote this book is because I would see a lot of patients who, let's say in the new year time, they think, right, I'm going to lose weight this year. They buy a new book. They follow a new diet plan. And you know what? For a few weeks, yeah, they start to lose a bit of weight. But by March time, what I would find is that those patients would come back to see me. Not only had they fallen off the plan, their weight was not only back to where it was before, they were even heavier than they were before they started. Mm. And at that point, they had a real negative self-talk. They feel like failures. It's the only part of health, the only part of life that I've seen where we don't blame the plan, we blame ourselves. Mm. So many people feel they can't lose weight. Many they people feel f- like losers. They feel like we, losers. We even call it the biggest loser. I mean, exactly. you know. Yeah. It's it and it, and you talk about that in your book. You begin by talking about stop blaming yourself, stop the shame. Yeah, I mean shame never helps anyone in the long term. If I think back across my whole career has any single one of my patients used shame as a helpful motivator? No. <laughs> Never. No, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds when ridiculous. You say, yeah, 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 we all do it. Yeah, you know, yeah, we all yeah. do it. Do you feel the doctors do? Are they part of the problem? Do they blame or shame people with excessive weight? 
some parts of the profession, I think, have been part of the problem. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of issues for doctors. First of all, sometimes we feel, as a profession, a bit nervous about bringing up this topic because we don't want to offend the person in front of us. And then sometimes we go to the other extreme where we bring it up in a very non-compassionate way, like almost telling people off. But Honestly, Maria, if I think about the patients who have come to see me over the past 20 years, the ones who are trying to lose weight and improve their health, most of them are really trying. They've tried all kinds of approaches. They know that they don't want to be the weight that they're currently at. So they don't really need the doctors telling them off, you know, pointing a stick at them. They need help. And this is they need tools. They need tools. You know, it's interesting for me, you know, this is my fourth book. And when I see a patient in my clinic, I spend a lot of time trying to understand the whole of their life, right? So I can personalize the approach for them. Mm. And you look then, at the holistic, like the whole cake, so to say, of that person. Yeah. So what, what are the, if I was sitting here in front of you with weight problems, what are the type of questions you would ask me? Well, I'd first of all ask you, um, tell me a little bit about your life. You know, tell me about a typical day. So I, I love asking that question to patients because in a typical day, you just start to feel, you get a sense of what's going on. Are they feeling a lot of stress? Do they not like their work? Are they comfort eating? Do they not have time to cook a fresh meal for themselves? Are they staying up late uh, watching box sets to unwind from a stressful day so their sleep is worse and then the sleep being bad affects their food choices the next day. So I, I sort of get an understanding of the whole of their life and then come up, I mutually agree with them some very small changes that they can start implementing to really start making those changes. And then so when I was writing this book, I was thinking, well, how can I bring that same approach to a book that's designed for everyone to read? And I, I'd like to think I've done it. What what I do is I, I talk people through the various things that could be at play for them. They're not all going to be relevant for everyone. I, I feel it's like, like a big smorgasbord, to use a Swedish, of potential strategies and tools yeah, one could use. Yeah, and I, and I feel that I, walk pe- I hold people's hands through it to walk them through it and say, look, uh, could this be the problem for you? Um, look at, let me tell you about this patient. I think there's 10 or 15 case studies in the book from my clinic to show people actually this person lost weight by focusing on their sleep. This person changed their weight and their health by focusing on their eating window. Uh, This person had to change how they ate rather than what they ate. And I think these are the factors that we're simply not talking about enough. Look, if I'm honest, Maria, right? If someone is trying to lose weight, okay, and the book is about promoting health and well-being first. The weight loss really is the side effect of good habits. But most people who are trying to lose weight already know that eating too much ice cream or biscuits or pastries or potato chips is not helping them. But they already know that. So why are we continuing to eat the foods that we know are not helping us? It's not simply a case of telling people what they're eating. It's asking them or helping them understand why they're eating. And you have divided, I think very interestingly, your book in what we eat, why we eat, when, how and where. So 
And of course, most of the information so far has been focused on what we eat. But you also talk about the hows and the whys, etc. When you talk to patients, what would you say are the most... Is it the what we eat or is it the why or the how? What do you see? What are the most common causes? Yeah. Where are the biggest issues usually? It's a great question. And of course, it depends on the patient. But if you you make me choose what I think is the most important thing for most people, I would say it's not what we eat. It's why we eat. Right. We used to eat to fill a hole in our stomachs. Now we're often eating to fill a hole in our hearts. When we're tired, we eat. When we're lonely, we eat. When we feel stressed, we eat. When we've had a bad day on the Zoom calls and we've not had any time to ourselves, <laughs> we eat. So we comfort eat a lot. Mm. And, you know, stress so e- is... eating becomes the response on any sort of challenge. Yeah, challenge. You we see- have it in life, so we go to the cupboard and have a look at exactly. what's in there. Exactly. Let's look at the, the research on stress, right? The, the, some research from America is showing us that 80% of us change our eating behavior in response to stress. 45% of us eat more in response to stress. 35% of us eat less. How are you? I probably eat more mm, in I response do, to I stress. I do too, to calm myself down. Yeah. So the, the point I'm trying to make by sharing that with people is, you know, 45%, that's nearly half of us, mm. right? If you're eating more of the wrong types of foods because you're stressed, you don't need a new diet plan. Mm. You don't need to learn more about what food you should be eating. You need help managing your stress levels, mm. right? And... Um, it, it, it's so obvious when you say it like that, mm. yet people ignore it. Maybe you have never connected the dots. I think Nobody so. Nobody has ever talked to you about the connection between managing your stress and what you actually do with your foods and the type of foods also you choose. Yeah, when you're stressed, you, you don't you don't want a piece of fruit or some nice vegetables. A big crispy salad. <laughs> you don't want that when you're stressed. You know, it's you, you crave sugary, fatty calming foods, foods. Calming. calming foods. Yeah. yeah. Sleep is the same thing, right? We know that if you sleep five hours a night compared to seven or eight hours a night, you are going to eat 22% more food the following day. So five days of not sleeping, you're basically talking about a whole extra day's worth of calories just from not sleeping. Yeah. And so I can think of many of my patients who I've helped them lose weight. I've helped them improve their health and I didn't touch their diets. I just helped them sleep better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's quite unique about this book is that it's a very rounded approach. It's saying your stress levels may be the reason you can't lose weight. Mm-hmm. Your sleep deprivation might be the reason you can't lose weight. But it could be how you're eating and when you're eating as well. That's kind of what I've tried to do. And just talking about stress eating a minute, because I think this is a really important point. I have an exercise in the book called The Three Fs. And I found it to be so useful with my patients. And, I, you know, if you don't mind, can I just talk talk us through mm, the exercise? Sure. Because mm. I think it's really useful. Mm. Let's say you're on the sofa in the evening. It's a cold, rainy, dark day, and it's sounds not... like Sweden. Sounds, yeah, in November. In November, yeah, right. So you're you're sitting there, and you know it's nine p.m. and you feel like some ice cream, okay, or you feel like some potato crisps, whatever. I want you to go through these three F's: feel, feed, find. The first F is feel. In that moment, I just want you to take a quick pause and go, "What am I really feeling?" 
is this is this physical hunger or is it emotional hunger? Okay, so, you know, and it could be that you really are hungry or it could be you're bored, tired, you've had a row with your partner, the children's bedtime went on too long. Whatever it is, just pay attention. Now, if you want to eat it, Go ahead and eat it. And cel- celebrate. You have an example in your book or sort of celebrating your me time for a lot of stressed people. That is like the window one has to celebrate. I'm here. Nobody wants anything from me. I'm going to celebrate. Yeah, with. it is. So that's an emotion it, too. Absolutely. Yeah. It can be a reward to yourself yeah. after a bad day. Yeah. And that's everything is okay. All emotions are valid. Mm. But we need to pay attention to what the emotion is. Mm. And I think that's the missing piece. A lot of the time it's, no, you shouldn't eat these foods. You should eat these foods. You shouldn't do this. You should do that. It's like, okay, but what about the why? So I don't mind if people then go and have the ice cream. But I want them to take a pause to start building in the awareness of why. So that's the first F, right? Mm. Feel. The second F is feed. Now that I know the feeling, okay, let's say I'm feeling stressed, How does food feed that feeling? Ah, when I'm feeling stressed and I have sugar, I feel less stressed. Or if I'm feeling lonely and I have some ice cream, I feel less lonely. Okay, great. Now you're understanding how food feeds that feeling. Then the third F is now find. Can you find a non-food behavior to feed the same feeling? So if you're feeling lonely, instead of going to the biscuits... Maybe you phone up one of your best friends for a chat or you speak to your mum. If you're feeling stressed and you've not had any time to yourself, instead of going into the ice cream, maybe you can run yourself a, a nice warm bath to relax and nourish yourself in the evening. And I know these things sound really simple, but I have used these kind of principles with my patients for years. And I find that once you help people build in the awareness of why they are engaging in certain behaviors, they then start to make changes themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's really this understanding, Maria, that all behaviors serve a role. It's a beautiful way of teaching people how to kind of connect emotions to food. So I think it's a beautiful exercise. But, but Maria, I, it's not just yeah. food, though. It could be alcohol. Yeah. Right? True. It could be True. our use of social media. Yeah. Like if someone yeah. is listening to this True. and they find that they spend three hours on Instagram, Go through the three oh Fs. <laughs> go through the three Fs on your Instagram use, yeah. and you will start to pay attention mm. to mm. what that is giving you. Mm. Excellent. So, feel, feed, and find. Find. Excellent. Yeah. I want to, however, just get back to a little bit because I'm a biologist, get back to the biology because you talk about the set point weight. It's called Börvikt in in the Swedish translation. And it is also the case that we have different set point weights and it is easier for people to feel satiated after a meal for certain people than others. We've got the hormones that regulate. And for some people, it's just harder to kind of get this lid on the meal, feeling like now it was enough. Whereas for others, they just feel I don't want any more food. So there is like a biological injustice in all of this, isn't it really? Yeah, it's a nice way of putting it, actually. We are all different. Mm. This is the reason why one size does not fit all of us. Mm. We all need slightly different approaches. And what is called the the biological set point, it's like a thermostat for your body. Like in the house, you can set the thermostat at, I don't know, 17 degrees or 18 degrees, right? 
If you know the temperature in the house goes a bit above that, the heating goes off. If it drops below that, the heating comes on. Mm. Well, in your body, you also have a thermostat for your weight. This is the weight your brain thinks you should be at. That's going to be different for everyone. But the problem is, over time, especially if we've done lots of diets and then put the weight back on and we've done a crash diet again and put the weight back on, that set point starts to change. And people listening will recognize that in themselves. They'll go, oh, this is why I I lost all that weight, but actually my brain thought I should be heavier. So I, I very easily put that back on. Now, the important thing about that is, yes, you could call it an injustice. But the important thing, I think, for us to remember is that it's not static. It doesn't stay the same way forever. So we can change. We can change things. For some, it'll be harder than others, right? I don't want to mislead people and say it's easy for everyone. No, it's not. And if you have struggled with your weight for a long time, yes, it may take a bit longer, but you can change it when you change the signals that you're giving your body. And you said about being full. Right? Yes, some oh, people feeling full, not being full. Feeling, feeling full. full. It's yes, some, a, a different thing. It, there, mm. there is, and it, I think you raise a really, really nice point there. That, of course, if we could all eat attentively and mindfully and eat the right kinds of foods, hopefully we'll feel full at the right time and not overeat. Mm. So our biology plays a role there, but it's also how we're eating plays a role there. So many of us, and I would include myself in this, this is something I struggle with a little bit, is eating too fast, mm. right? So if you are eating a healthy meal whilst also looking at your phone and answering emails, mm. right, mm. you're distracted. Great combo. It's a great combo, or, or not. It's, <laughs> or not. <laughs> you, you are distracted. And of we course. know there's some really good science showing us that when we eat distracted, we eat more, not only at that meal, but at subsequent meals throughout the day. And I see this a lot with certain patients of mine. I'd say a lot of male patients that I have, I would say, really struggle with this. And sometimes I've helped them lose weight, again, by not changing their diets, by helping them slow down when it's time to eat. Let's explain why this is important, why that works on a biological level. We've got the vagus nerve who wants to signal that you are full. We've got the balance between hunger and satiety. So how does that work on the biological level? What are you setting off that is so important when you are eating in a slower, calmer and more happy way? Yeah, I think this is such an important point. And if we just zoom out for a moment... The key point here is that your body is always sending you signals. Whether you're full, whether you're hungry, whether you're tired, whether you're lonely, whatever it is, your body's sending you signals. But a lot of the time, we're too busy and too distracted to pay attention to those signals. So what are some of those signals? Well, there's a hunger hormone in the body called ghrelin, which signals that you are hungry. One of the most important hormones for our weight is one called leptin. Leptin is released from our fat cells. We've all got fat cells on our body. And, you know, what does leptin do? Leptin basically sends your brain a signal to say, you have enough fuel on board. It's not quite in the short term after every meal. It's more in the long term. Your leptin levels determine how much fuel you are going to take on board. Now, one of the problems now is that many of us are resistant to leptin. What does that mean? And why has that happened? So because of the way we're living our lives, 
Okay. Um, and in particular, with the types of foods we're eating, we've now got something called leptin resistance. I'll explain what that is and, and what's going on there. I'll, so, I'll just translate it to Swedish. So leptin resistance är leptinresistens på svenska. Leptin är alltså ett mättnadshormon. Sorry. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would argue that leptin is possibly the most important hormone when it comes to our weight. Right, so having leptin work well in your body is of critical importance for all of us. And leptin resistance is effectively when your body has become deaf to the sound of leptin. So leptin is so trying it's like to... insulin resistance, which we've talked a lot about, diabetes too. This is a similar kind similar. of deafening of of the signal. Yeah. yeah, so so why is it that we now have leptin resistance? Well, there's there's many reasons, but let's go into a couple of those reasons. Number one, a lot of the modern, highly processed foods that we consume have got highly refined carbohydrates in them and highly refined oils. So what does that do? Well, the highly refined carbohydrates um, contribute to putting your body in a, in a, you can think of it like a special survival mode called inflammation, right? So inflammation can be helpful if we are under attack, okay? Inflammation can be helpful if we cut our leg and we want the body to heal. But what you don't want is inflammation on a daily basis. The low degree systemic, yes. which we talk about a lot here in the pod, the low degree systemic chronic long-term Exactly, that's the problem. So inflammation is not good or bad. Inflammation in the right dose at the right time is very helpful. The but for acute, many of us, yeah. many of us, we have this chronic low-grade inflammation. So if you're eating lots of these foods, you contribute to it. That the The refined oils in the foods, a lot of these highly processed foods, what they do is that they stop your body being able to switch that inflammation off. So the, the refined carbs cause the inflammation, the refined oils don't really allow your body to switch that inflammation off. So that's not a great combination. So, so, so let's say, what is the combination? Let's put an industrially baked cookie. Sad to say, because I do love certain of who them. Who doesn't? Uh, yeah, they are the wham, perfect combo of the high glycemic index food with the trans fats. And you get that double whammy you, you of effect. I, I yeah. think it's a great example. And what what comes? I think that's a great example. The other thing that contributes to uh, leptin resistance is these type of foods that you just mentioned. That industrial cookie, right? So what happens is that these kind of modern, what I call in the book, blissy or trigger foods, they also have unusually high amounts of refined sugar or carbohydrates in, and that gives us a big insulin spike in the body. Now, insulin is not in, a, in and of itself a problem, right? Insulin is an important hormone. It's there to do a reason. But when you have insulin on board, it signals to the body that now is time to store fat, right? It's a, what we call an anabolic hormone. It gives our bodies a signal that it's now time to store some of the fuel away. If you're, if you're constantly eating right? You've always got insulin up. So you're always giving your body a store fat signal. But these kind of modern foods contribute to leptin resistance. Because if you're having a lot of insulin resistance, if you have a lot of inflammation, actually, your body's uh, resource is going there, which makes it harder to hear the noise that's coming from leptin. So all the things that I recommend in the book actually help to repair that leptin resistance. Yeah. So so the leptin 
kind of numbness is something you can do something about. Yeah, you, and what are the strategies to kind of get the leptin back into the swing of things again? Well, one of the things that you can do is focus mostly on eating real foods, right? So these, you know, what, what is it, a real what, food? What is a real food? <laughs> right, because it's in some ways it's a ridiculous term, but... It's basically the polar opposite of these modern, highly processed foods that have been created in laboratories by food scientists, right? So real food is basically, you can think about it as the sort of food your grandparents would have eaten, you know, vegetables, fruits. If you do eat meat, meat that looks like meats, fish that looks like fish, the kind of old-fashioned traditional ancestral foods, because there's three key benefits when you eat mostly real food. Number one, you will automatically feel less hungry. Number two, your body starts to manage your weight for you. We mentioned set point before. It really helps your body's set point. And the third benefit is it means you're less likely to be tempted to eat what I call blissy or trigger food. So let me just say what these blissy foods are for a minute. So Certain foods, and I think that industrial cookie you mentioned, which I know tastes delicious. I, I, I am a sucker for those. I don't eat them anymore, but... Well, it's a prime example because those foods have been created by food scientists. They have got certain combinations of fats, sugar, and salt in them. And what that does is it hits what's called the bliss point in your brain, right? And you release a hormone, well, a chemical called dopamine, right? Many people have heard of dopamine, but what is dopamine? Well, Dopamine does many things, but when our dopamine goes up, it creates intense feelings of bliss and reward, and it helps to teach us and motivate us to repeat the same behavior over and over again. So if you are someone who has these industrial cookies regularly, what happens is that your dopamine levels start to go up and up and up, and then what happens is even before you've eaten the food, in anticipation of the food, you walk past the cookie shop or you smell the smell of that cookie, you then even release dopamine before you've eaten the food. So it helps to condition this. And this is why so many people literally find it hard to resist these foods because their biology has changed. Now, I want to give people some empowering information, even if that is you at the moment, even if you are struggling to resist those foods, you can change this. It can take a bit of time, a few weeks, maybe a few months, but if you slowly start to change back to eating mostly real foods, your dopamine levels will start to adapt and change. But that's interesting because I was, in my earlier life, a big lover of industrial cookies, okay? Me too. My, my mother didn't bake, so but I, I've always loved that. And when I started eating anti-inflammatory foods eight years ago, I stopped eating industrial cookies. And now if there was a big plate here, I would not feel tempted anymore. I mean, eight years ago, I would have sort of been like a diver diving straight in. What has changed in my biology then? So many things will have changed. Um, your taste buds will have changed. So we know this, that taste buds can change within two or three weeks. So a great way for people to think about this is, I remember I used to drink tea with sugar. Mm. How much? I don't know. This is a long time ago, maybe one spoon or two teaspoons of sugar, mm. right? This is many, many years ago. And then for some reason, I decided to quit the sugar in the tea. And I remember for the first two or three times, the tea tasted disgusting without the sugar. 
right? Because I was I was used to having the sugar. I thought, oh, this is awful. But I kept going, drinking it without the sugar. And then I think about three weeks later, I remember I went into work one day in this GP practice and, you know, someone had made teas for everyone and I picked up the wrong tea and uh, I drank it and I, I spat it out. Mm. And I said, whose is this? I said, oh, that's the wrong one. That's got two sugars in it. That's not yours. And I was thinking, wow, three and a half weeks ago, I was having that every day and that tasted normal to me. But simply three weeks of, of consuming tea with no sugar meant now tea with sugar tasted disgusting. You recalibrate the Yeah, your mm. taste buds adapt mm. very, very quickly. Yes, it can be hard for the first week, right? Yes, if you're used to eating a certain way, yes, you might need a bit of willpower for the first week or two. But bit by bit, they will start to change. So I think your taste buds will have changed. I also think your dopamine levels will have changed. So Eight years ago, if that was in front of us right now, I think the dopamine in your body would be sky high, even while we're chatting, just seeing them there. Yeah, we don't have any cakes in front of us. We, we don't, but I'm imagining, <laughs> I'm, I'm, imagining, I'm imagining them there. And I'm feeling nothing in my brain, even as yeah. I imagine them. But because you have changed your behavior, mm. your, your body, your brain is constantly adapting to the signals we give it. Mm. Because you're not having it regularly, your body now doesn't release dopamine in the same way that it used to. And I think, Maria, this is empowering. This is saying to people, look, I know it's hard. I know many people have really, really struggled and are struggling with their health and with their weight. But when you break it down, when you start making small changes, and that's what my whole approach is about, is that you don't need a dramatic life overhaul. That can work for some people, but for most people, you need to take it slow, build in these changes. Yeah, and your you... book is great in that way, with these oh, well, micro I so. steps. I, I think it's very humane to that extent. And you have another tip, which I think is very good too, and that is talking about the protein, pumping up the protein, which is very interesting because that's a new way of looking at food. Why is pumping up the protein a little bit? Why is that so important with this sort of recalibration and and balancing? Yeah, so one of the hardest things people find when they're trying to recalibrate is that they're fighting hunger. Yeah. Right, We don't do very well when we're hungry, especially if we're used to eating all the time. So sometimes when we maybe change the way that we're eating, we're craving something, we're feeling hungry, we want something. And what's so good about protein? And I don't love singling out micronutrients like fat, protein, and carbs. Mm. I, I There's definitely got benefits, mm. right? I'd like to promote the sort of eat real food message yeah, but primarily. Yeah. But then I think within that, certain macronutrients can be useful for people. So when we, as I write in the book, power up with protein, there's all kinds of benefits. The main benefit is protein is the macronutrients that keeps you full for the longest. You you have high levels of satiety after you've had more protein. So it's often something I recommend with patients who are trying to lose weight is eat more protein because whether it's meat, fish, or if you're a vegetarian, it could be tofu or whatever it is, it helps to keep you full for longer. When we talk to the people here at your publishing company, what are you doing tonight? Well, we're taking him to the meat restaurant. He wants meat. (laughs) Is that what they said? Yes. Well, to be fair, like that conversation was, they phoned me and said, um, they said, 
you know, you like steak, don't you? I said, yeah, I like steak now and again. They said, okay, we'll take you to a nice place. I yeah. said, okay, great. Now you are the meat-eating Indian, almost. <laughs> yeah, so, so, but I, but I think that speaks to a wider point, which is I think different people thrive on different sorts of diets, mm. right? I don't think there is one diet that works mm. for everybody. Yeah. And in fact, if you look around the world, mm. if you look at humans mm. for thousands, tens of thousands of years, we have always been opportunistic omnivores, right? What we would end up eating was dictated by the geography and the climate. Mm. So humans can thrive on a wide variety of different diets, but the common factor for the bulk of human evolution has been they were real whole foods. Mm. That's, I think, where the big misstep with diet is when we move away from those foods and go to these highly processed foods. Mm. The other thing is, is that our microbiomes, so all these trillions of bacteria and viruses and parasites that live inside us, right? And we're seeing loads of science now how our gut health is linked to our, our mental health, our skin health, our physical health, our joint health. Teeth. Our teeth, mm. right? So much. And we've all got different microbiomes because it's not just the diet that impacts our microbiome, our movement patterns, our stress levels, the pollution in the environment around us, all these things. So some of us will have very different microbiomes from our friends or our family. And therefore, the sort of foods that we thrive on may also be different. And again, speaking to why did I write this book, it's also because many people, they feel as though they've failed because their best friend lost weight let's say on the low carb diet and they tried it it didn't work for them so they think oh man it worked for my friends but you know i'm the failure so it didn't work for me or you know their friend tried the 16a intermittent fasting and they did really well but it doesn't work for them my approach is to say and where people say which one's better low carb or intermittent fasting or low fat i'm like well it depends for some people they seem to do really well on a whole food, low carbohydrate diets. Other people do really well on a vegan, you know, plant rich diet. And this is what my 20 years of experience has taught me, Maria, is when you listen to your patients, when you observe them, when they come back in, you realize that actually they're all kind of doing different things. Like I love this approach. I salute you for having this approach. And and, uh, can I give you an observation? Please. I would not be surprised that your Indian heritage, because you told me your family comes from Bengal and moved to Britain. Yeah. And I live in London and most of my doctors, for a reason or another, are Indian. And they all have this very holistic, very individualistic approach. So may may I suggest to you that something in your kind of cultural heritage is helping you with this outlook? Yeah, I think you're very astute, Maria. This is something I discussed actually um on my own podcast with uh, Andrew Weil. I don't know if you know yeah, Andrew Weil. Yeah. And uh, we had a great conversation a couple of months ago. I think we discussed this. And I said to him that what I've noticed in the UK is that a lot of the doctors, not not exclusively, but a lot of the doctors who are that way inclined, you know, to think more holistically, to start seeing food as medicine, mm-hmm. you know, do have an Indian background. 
And I was saying to him, I think the reason might be, so yeah, my, my dad came to the UK in 1962 from Calcutta. My mum came in the early 1970s. And you grow up at home with this kind of culture where, I don't know, if you're not feeling well or you have a fever, you know, your mum makes you uh, some food with more turmeric and curcumin in. Gurk mm. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, or, you, you know, if I had a sore throat, my mum would, would make me this kind of little concoction of organic honey, ginger with freshly squeezed lemon, and she'd say, sip this. Mm. So you grow up with this concept. Then you go to medical school, which is a very Western pharmaceutical type model, which has value. Of course. But the problem is I feel we use it for too many things, right? It, we, we use that approach for all of these chronic lifestyle-driven problems, and I don't think it works so well. So I think, Marie, you're bringing up a really important point. There's something there in our backgrounds that I feel makes makes us able to combine the best of Western medicine with the best of Eastern sort of philosophy. I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. You can bring them together, use the right tool for, for your patient. And you know what? There's so much great science now coming to support what Ayurvedic medicine has been talking about, what traditional Chinese medicine has been talking about for years, right? Traditional Chinese medicine have said for thousands of years that different organ systems are more active at different times of the day. But, you know, a lot of Western modern scientists have sort of, until recently, kind of looked down upon that. Well, the whole field of circadian biology now... That's the whole thing. It's like... And it came out in The Guardian in the UK a few years ago. There was this article that came out. Scientists discover that different organs are more active at different times. And the conclusion of the article was, now drug companies can find the best time for you to take the liver drug. You can take it when your liver is active or the kidney drug. And I thought, okay, fine, but are we missing part of the big picture here, which is different organs are more active. They have higher genetic uh, sort of expression at different times of the day. And that's kind of what the old Chinese and Indian doctors have been saying for years. So I I find that there's a lot of humility we need as modern scientists to go, well, just because we've got the most technologically advanced society that we think, right, from what we know, it doesn't mean that older humans didn't know much at all. And I find it I find it really humbling when we use modern science to go, oh, this is why what they've been recommending before works so well. You know, I'm very interested in Ayurvedic medicine, have spent a lot of time in India. And, and if I were a Western scientist... I would use the plants discovered in Ayurvedic medicine and do proper medical trials on versions of them. And my Indian doctor in London, who is a proper doctor, she recommended ashwagandha, which is one of the Ayurvedic medicines against stress, uh, when I was feeling a bit semi-burnt out. Uh, So it is interesting to see that. And when I read your book, I I think about that. I can hear that voice from Ayurveda kind of... Under, underneath this very individualistic, this very humane, this very try this out, maybe that could work. I, I really, um, I'm really touched and appreciate the fact that you said that because you know I'm very proud of my Indian heritage. Oh, you should be. And it's funny, like my mum, mum's 81 now, and uh, like over the last few years, when mum sort of reads my books and she 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 sometimes phones me, she says, "Wrong and look." A lot of the stuff you're saying in your books is what my, so her granddad, so my great granddad used to do. Was he a doctor? No, Mm. 
But it just sort of... It's just what he would do. And she said, look, he lived to, you know, I think late 90s. He was in really good physical, mental and emotional health Mm. until late on in life. And, you know, that's the other thing I would say is that I don't claim to have invented anything new, right? You know, many cultures, you know, many people have understood these principles for many years what I try and do is just put this all together for people using my 20 years of medical experience, having, you know, trained at one of Europe's most prestigious medical schools, Edinburgh Medical School, you know, getting my specialist qualifications. I was going to be a kidney specialist. I moved to general practice. I have an immunology BSc honors degree. With all this kind of modern training, I've realized from seeing patients that a lot of it comes down, you know, 80 to 90% of what we see now as doctors, is in some way related to our collective modern lifestyles. And modern medical school doesn't teach us what to do about that, right? So doctors, actually most of them don't know, you know, and I say that with the greatest respect and love for my colleagues, but most of the stuff that I put in my four books, I didn't learn at medical school. I've learned by studying, looking at the research, spending hours and hours learning because I was frustrated that for most of my patients, I was just giving them pills all the time and they were coming back and they they still had problems or um, I, I felt that the pill was just putting a plaster on their symptom rather than helping them get to the root cause. So I'm really passionate about using medication when it's necessary, but using lifestyle when it's necessary as well. One of the things you also are an advocate of, which is not Ayurvedic at all, and that is weight training. And then I say, yippee, because I think that's very important too for us. And why is weight training? Because people tend to think of aerobics and spend hours on the treadmill or, yeah. or jogging or biking. But why is weight training the best tool to reach your set point weight and be be very happy with the weight you have. Yeah. So, you know, all movement is important. You know, we are human Let's animals. Let's talk about resistance training, training with resistance. Yeah. yeah. So we we have evolved to move, but as you say, there's a there's a lot of focus on cardio or, you know, running and you know, they have benefits for sure. But there's something unique about strength training, which I think all of us need to know, not just people who are wanting to lose weight. Once we hit the age of 30, which is both of us, unfortunately, (laughs) right? Once we go past the age of 30, we lose muscle mass Mm. if we're inactive, you know, maybe three to 5% every 10 years. And why is that bad? Because the amount of lean muscle mass you have is probably the number one predictor of your longevity, right? Your lean muscle mass determines how sensitive you are to the hormone insulin, which we mentioned earlier on, right? Um, Your lean muscle mass can help give you more storage room in your body for the fuel that you're consuming. So for people who want to get their set point back to where they want it to be for their optimal weight, or for people who just want to generally look after themselves as they're getting older, weight training is even more important. Now, what Can I ask you an honest question then? Because in the book, you are are a very well-trained man, but you are standing with a little mosquito weight. 
in the book, the picture. So it's this really, it's not pink, but it could have been like... It a, could have been pink. It could have been like a little pink mosquito weight of one kilo. Are those the weights you train with yourself? Uh, sometimes, just, but not always. Is it just to encourage people? It, yeah, you make a great point. So it's to encourage people, first <laughs> of all. He's blushing. He's blushing a little bit. It, it, <laughs> it's to encourage people. Yeah. But sometimes I do take yeah. low weights. I yeah. really do. Like, yeah. I take whatever is around me. Excellent. So... Um, what I, honestly, what do I do to look after myself? Because I don't go to the gym. I do a five-minute strength workout every day, right? I don't go to the gym. And this is because I understand human behavior, right? So I've written about this in my previous book. You know, what are the uh, principles of behavior change? There's many. There's probably six, really. But the two most important ones are, if you want a new behavior to become a long-term habit, number one, you've got to make it easy. Number two, you want to stick on the new behavior onto an existing habit. So how does that play out for me in strength training? Right. First thing in the morning, I like to have a coffee. Okay. So that's a habit. It's not something I have to think about. I don't need my secretary to phone me at 6.30 and say, Rongin, please remember to have your coffee. No, I'm going to make my coffee. So I make it. I weigh out my coffee. I pour the water in. In the, into the cafetiere, and then I put a timer on for five minutes because that's how I like my coffee. In those five minutes, I don't go on Instagram, I don't go on email. In those five minutes, I do a strength workout in my kitchen in my pajamas, right? So I make it easy. I don't have to put on different clothes. I don't have to put on my trainers. I make it so easy. Yeah, what do you do in those five minutes? Right, right. so it depends. Um, for years, it was a body weight workout. So I, and I've, I've got it on YouTube, the five-minute kitchen workout. People want to see it. It's a really simple workout that everyone can adapt uh, to suit them. I would do some press-ups, some tricep dips, some squats. And then, you know, before you know it, coffee's ready. And I get the beautiful reward of a nice hot cup of coffee. Beautiful. But I was in a hotel in Stockholm last night. So again, I made coffee before I came out. And again, in my pajamas, I did a little workout in my hotel room. So for me, this has become just like toothbrushing, right? It's not that I have to find time in my day to go to a gym uh, or find a gym when I'm here in Stockholm, because ultimately that's difficult. Some people can't afford gyms. Some people don't like going to gyms. But I have made it so easy that it's just like brushing my teeth each day. I do what is wrong and do each day. Yeah, I brush my teeth two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the evening. I have a five-minute strength workout every day. Excellent. And it's these kind of practical tips that I that I there's lots of them in the book to show people that. Health does not need to be as hard as you think. We can actually make it quite simple. Excellent tip. I love how you talk about how we eat. You talk about the French people actually having desserts, having that piece of cheese, having, you know, a very rich food lifestyle. It's not about deprivation. It's about enjoying food and still having much lower levels of obesity than, for instance, the UK. So why is the how we eat. We we have talked in the program, in the podcast, we've talked a lot about the rituals of food, that in the blue zones that I visited, some of them, it's very much how you serve the food. It's the little dish of that. It's the little dish of that. Cooking, taking some time around your food. Why does this affect how we digest and experience food and ultimately our weight? I think this is one of the big missing pieces when it comes to health and weight. 
too much of the focus is just on the what, but very little focus is on the how. And, you know, I've always been fascinated by the French because, you know, it's called the French paradox. Why can the French have fatty meats, cheese, red wine? He's looking so happy when you're talking about this. You're beaming. (laughs) Yeah, but why can they have that yet still not have the same rates of ill health that we, let's say, do in the UK? And there's many theories, but I've looked at this for a good 10 years now. I spent a lot of time in France. And I actually think the most important factor is how they eat. There is still a culture in France that lunchtime or dinner time is sacrosanct. If you're in the office and you're working, you shut the laptop, you leave your desk and your chair, and you will go and sit down for, for your meal. It's a serious thing. Like I don't mean serious as in not fun, but it's you know, meal times a meal it's times. It's an event. It's an event. You don't do your emails or do phone calls at the same time. No, this is now time to nourish yourself. And I actually was interviewed a couple of years ago in Paris when my first book, which is called Health So Balancen in Sweden, when it came out in France, I asked the journalist, I said to her, can I just ask you, does this still exist in France? Because I'm, I think a lot about this. I, I write about it. I've seen it a lot in France. You know, in the fast-paced 21st century, is this culture still there in France? She said, absolutely. The only places where we don't see it now are in some of the international offices in Paris, where we have people from all over the world. And so there is starting to be a culture of eat at your desk, you know. But but actually, for most of France, it is still there. I think we mentioned before that when we eat in this way, we start to pay attention to the signals, the ghrelin, the hunger hormone, leptin, you know, are we full? Are we hungry? Um, should we have another serving? The if oxytocin, the healing aspect the, the, of the food. Bonding of, the bonding of, of being yeah. with another human being. Too many, you know, in the UK, loneliness is a big problem. Mm. Big problem. I think over 50% of us eat at least one meal a day by ourselves, right? If you're eating by yourself and you're distracted, you're probably going to eat more because it's, you know, feeding that hole in your heart, not the hole in your stomach. So, you know, we we know from research that you eat less when you eat in this way. You're more satisfied when you eat in this way. There's a mindful chocolate eating exercise that I put in the book, which is basically, you know, if you're having a dessert, mm. let's say it's a piece of chocolate cake. You know, my approach is not saying never have anything like that again. That's not realistic. But when you're having it, pay attention to why you're having it, as we discussed before with the three Fs. And then if you have it slowly and you you know, move it around on your tongue, you will experience more flavors. You will find that you are full and satisfied with just two or three spoonfuls. Whereas if you don't do that, and I can be very guilty of this, before you know it, you can have two one, two pieces, right? Two whole pieces rather than just two mouthfuls. And so the way we eat is really important. Yes, for our health, but it's also, you know, this is what life's about. The right? ritual. ritual. The ritual. It's not just about the biology. It's not just about, oh, for good health, you need to eat this. You need to move this much. No, no, no. This is where the health messaging gets too dry. Health has to fit in and be part of our lives. It has to be the. It has to be part of the fabric of our lives. You have to take the meaning from this stuff. So, 
you know, I have seen it with patients when you can start to bring in these little ritualistic components, whether it's, I have an exercise in the book called the three, four, five breath, where you breathe in for three, you hold for four and you breathe out for five, really helps to switch off the stress part of your nervous system, activate the relaxation part, the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. That can help you be more present when you eat. The Japanese have a culture um, you know, well, they've got several things. They have something called harahachibu, where they eat to 80% full because they know it takes time for the hunger signal to go from your stomach to your brain. So that it's inbuilt into the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we could say many religions, many cultures have a have uh, a way of saying thanks, gratitude just before you eat. These things yeah. are just as important as your leptin resistance, mm-hmm. as your insulin resistance. Beautiful. Beautiful. And to say thank you to you, I want to give you a gift, ah. which will tie in with everything we have talked about. I'm very excited. Can it's, I open it? Of course. It's a little hot. It's for you because oh. we love your books. Well, it's a very lovely package, first yeah, of all. So very you, Swedish. Yeah. You open is, it and I have a look. I will open it. Thank you. Well, I'm uh, loving the presentation. Yeah. And you will have a look and then I will tell you how it all fits in. So it's a lovely green bottle and... Oh, I love stuff like this. Yeah. It looks like a, what? Orarorda uh, lingon. Lingon, okay. Lingon. Is that jam? Lingon. Now I will tell you, this is a cousin of the blueberry. In in English, it's called the lingonberry. It is a relative, a little bit with a cranberry. So somewhere between a cranberry and a blueberry. It's very tart. Oh, and like has quite low sugar. So the interesting thing with the lingonberry, and now I will tie everything together. Amazing. In the Ayurvedic tradition, you talk about having all the tastes in your mouth. You need the sweet, the salty, the sour, the bitter, everything. And usually what's lacking at the end of a meal is the little bit bitter and the little bit sweet. So having two small tablespoons of this lingonberry jam is a sort of Ayurvedic Swedish trick of finishing off the meal. Because then your brain will get all the tastes. And also, the lingonberry has been part of some very interesting trials in Sweden with anti-inflammatory foods. So if you add them to a meal, that meal will produce a lower amount of inflammatory markers than the same meal without the lingonberry. I love that. So it is so potent. It ties in with your background. It's about gratitude. It's about ending the meal. And uh, uh, maybe you can enjoy it with your steak tonight. I, I will look forward to it. And I, I'm looking at it and I'm getting very excited. I love trying new things. Yeah. I appreciate very much the thought behind it. And I love what you said about that. So I will let you know how I get on. But thank you very much. I really appreciate the gift. Beautiful. Thank you, Rangan. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Aw. Det där var alltså Rangan Chatterjee och han fick, som ni alla förstod, en burk svenska lingon. Och eh, som du förstår säkert så är lingon veckans planta. Ja, om det gick lite fort där så pratade vi precis med Rangan Chatterjee om konsten att känna sig klar med sin måltid. Och som vi pratade om i Ayurveda tänker man sig alltså att det är lättare att känna sig färdig med måltiden när man har upplevt alla smaker. Salt, surt, bäskt, starkt, bittert och sött. Vad betyder det här? Ja, om man till exempel äter grillad kyckling med potatis och lite olika grillade kryddiga grönsaker och en sallad så har man ju många smaker. Man har fått i sig salt från kycklingen, surt kanske från vinäger i dressingen till salladen eller pressad citron. Man har det bäska i gröna salladsblad. Man kanske har starkt från en chilikrydda på grönsakerna. Och det man oftast då saknar är lite bittert och sött. Och det är där nu vi kommer in på lingonet. Så en svensk uppdaterad version av det gamla Ayurveda-knäpet är att ta två, tre tersedar rårörd lingonsylt efter middagen och gärna lingonsylt med så lite socker som möjligt titta på burken under mängden kolhydrater och där kan du se hur mycket av det som är socker och jämföra burkarna och sen finns det ju varianter idag i handen som är sötade med stevia och har väldigt låg glukemiskt index eller kanske du kokar din egen sylt det gör ju många och det här är intressant för att när man tar de här två, tre tersedarna så får man liksom ett logiskt lock på måltiden. En, någon kan röra ut det här i lite grekisk yoghurt, det är väldigt gott också. Men just bara den här lilla, lilla mängden bittert och sött. Och lingon är ju dessutom väldigt bra bär. De har en hög polyphenolhalt och de förekommer ju i Inge Björks stora studie på antiinflammatorisk mat- en portion mat med lingon till gav lägre utslag på inflammationsmarkörer än exakt samma portion mat utan lingon. Och det är precis det vi menar med antiinflammatorisk mat. Så lingon är en av mina favoriter som vardags efter rätt. Eller så köper jag frysta lingon och bara kör rätt ner i morgonsmoothien. Lingon smoothie, det är också en favorit. Ja, Karina, är du lingon lady? Verkligen. Mm. Jag åh, drack en lingon smoothie senast igår. Oh. Ja, det är sant. Vad gjorde och hade du den då? <laughs> jag fick den gjord på stället där jag tränar. Så att det var ju en väldigt lyxig service. De hade veckans smoothie var just lingon smoothie. Lyxig lingon smoothie. Alltså detta sammanträffande. Underbart, <laughs> underbart. Jag älskar att göra lingon smoothie. Jag brukar ta... Lingon och så något sånt där veganskt proteinpulver 
med lite vanilsmak eller lite jordgubbsmak. Eller om man vill ha ett vasslepsrotin, eh, om man kan ta det. Och sen ihop med lite mandelmjölk. Mm. Och just de här frysta bären, ja. vasslepsrotin och mandelmjölk, det är lingonglass får man då. Precis, Super det blir gott. ju en liksom kall smoothie på ett helt ja. annat sätt än om man har... Ja, varma eller färska bär ja. så, så blir, kan det bli lite ljum, lite ja. sådär. Ja, precis. Men du, vad säger vi om Rangan Chatterjee? Ja, alltså, alltså. diggar vi honom? <laughs> ja, han är en ledstjärna han är i denna hälsovärld som vi verkar i. Så fantastiskt spännande att få lyssna till honom en andra gång mm. här på mm. relativt kort tid. Mm. Och att få träffa honom på riktigt. Sen så ja. varm, härlig person. Vi fick, vi fick en kram när ja. vi gick. Bara ja. väldigt liksom opretentiös. Ja, inkluderande. Ja. Tydlig. Han vill att alla ska förstå hälsa ja. känns det som. Han bryggar ju just det här gapet mellan skolmedicin och livsstil. Ja. Och som vi också försöker göra här. Och det är intressant. Liksom, han har tittat på allt här som vi håller på att prata om och kommer till väldigt ja. liknande slutsatser naturligtvis med en enorm Kunskap 20 år som läkare. Mm. Och, och just tycker jag, jag älskar att han säger att, att titta på varje människa. Ja. Liksom, vad, vad är ditt liv? Ja. Är det stressen? Är det frukosten? Är det motionen? Ja. Var är du? Vad behöver du just nu? Det är ett underbart förhållningssätt. Ja, han är så nyfiken. Mm. Och det är ju en, en hälsofaktor som man alltid kan komma tillbaka till ja. på något sätt. Att om man kan behålla den här nyfikenheten även om man är så otroligt lärd som Rangan mm. Chatterjee mm. är så fortsätter han att lära av sina patienter varje dag. Mm. Men de bästa läkarna är ju så. Ja. Och jag tycker det är intressant att han är allmänläkare. Mm. Jag har hittat, tycker ofta att de här allmänläkarna får ett väldigt mänskligt perspektiv just därför att de måste sitta och hantera så många olika mm. saker. Så mm. ser de människan 360 grader. Ja, visst, visst. Jag tror att man blir väldigt ödmjuk av det. Ja. Liksom att få titta på hela människan. Men det är kul och, och det är roligt. Han berättar för oss förra gången att han undervisar ju läkare nu. Ja. I kopplingen mellan kost och hälsa. Ja. Så det här kommer ju nu Och har haft starkt. en föreläsning här i Sverige på Karolinska institutet ja. tror jag. Vid, mm. Då för något år sedan. Mm. Och, så att det är många som vill lyssna till honom. Ja, precis. Mm. Och det vill vi med. Och vi kan verkligen rekommendera hans mm. bok. Och jag tänker... Jag tänker så här att den här boken är verkligen, om man själv brottas med övervikt och tappat sugen och inte riktigt vet vad man ska mm. göra eller har någon anhörig. För att den är, finns ingen pekpinne, den är varm, den är mänsklig, den är så superpraktisk. Mm. Han kombinerar liksom människans biologi med människans individualitet, med mm. vår kultur, med våra matmönster. Mm. Och det är som ett stort smörgåsbord av massor med tips. Mm. Och så förklarar han så tydligt och det har... Man har ju hört förut, men ändå det här hur mycket sömnen påverkar, ja. det tycker jag var spännande. Det var ju inte helt nytt, men, men han är så bra på, ja. på att förklara hur allt hänger ja. ihop. Ja. Och också känslolivet, ja. just det här. Jag Stress. tror många känner igen sig det här klockan nio på kvällen. Man har ätit middag, ja. magen är mätt, men det är något som suger. Mm. Man kanske till och med har kört lingontricket, men någonting suger. Vad är mm. det som suger? Mm. Och vad var det han kallade det för? Han fil Feel, feed and find. Ja. Precis, att känna Hans efter vad är det för känslor som spökar, kan jag nära de här känslorna på mm. något annat sätt och vad skulle jag kunna göra då? Ja. Ett spännande förhållningssätt mm. att se människan så. Mm. Så heja Rangan säger vi, ja. jag känner att det inte är sista gången vi har pratat med honom. Nej, eller hur, han Nej. är välkommen han, när som helst anytime, tillbaka. Anytime, <laughs> Vi är klara för idag, var rädd om dig, det viktigaste är inte vikten utan det viktigaste är ju hälsan, mm. eller hur? 
Ja, att man känner att man mår bra. Man och... är på en plats ja. där man vill vara med sin kropp och ja. själ, eller hur? Och vi hoppas att du har fått lite bra tips och inspel på det. Vill du mejla oss ja. så går det att göra till halsorevolutionenpodcast.gmail.com mm. och vi finns ju också på Instagram. Tack alla som följer oss så hängivet där. Ja. Och kul när du skriver kommentarer, frågar saker. Vi försöker ju svara mm. så snabbt vi hinner. Hej då! Hej då! Hold up! What was that? Boring! No flavor! That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.